Hello, DER Task Force. Welcome to Episode 4, Venture Capital. I'm Colleen Metalitza, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, James McGinnis and Duncan Campbell. A quick note on this episode is that we recorded it pre-pandemic. We feel the conversation is still relevant, but there are a couple points where we clear the markets hadn't yet gone on the roller coaster ride they have the last few months. Duncan will give a few thoughts on the VC space post-pandemic in this episode's outro. As always, our views expressed in this podcast are personal views and not representative of the companies we work for. These discussions should not be taken as investment advice. And finally, there are a few swear words throughout the episode. With that, let's dive right in. DER Task Force, what's up? Today we're going to be talking about investing in the climate space, the climate tech, as they call it now. Uh, We'll talk about VC, PE, and a a few other things. This conversation was inspired by uh, Madison Freeman's presentation at the DER meetup. She's uh, with Energy Impact Partners, a really well-known firm in this space, and she kind of gave us the download on the state of clean tech and climate tech investing uh, today. It was actually a few months ago, and I'd say a lot has changed since then, too, so there will be some fun updates. And uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to James. Yeah, thanks, Madison, for you know informing the crew a couple months ago. Madison is a loyal DER Task Force member. and Actually not so loyal lately. Oh, <laughs> Madison, you're on notice. You better show up this month. But yeah, so I think today is going to be a fun one because you know, I, I th- feel like I'm generally positive about where we are. Actually very positive. You know, I feel like as a... I guess they're calling it climate tech now. Do I say as a climate tech entrepreneur? I, I really have never identified. I've never said that out loud in my life, but we're going to roll with it. It's, things it. are good. Things are good. Yeah, Think, things are really looking up. You scale know? microgrids, raised some private equity money. We, we've raised some venture capital for everything I've heard about clean tech 1.0 and all this, uh, you know, the negative aspects of this. It feels like we're stepping into a good environment for clean tech, climate tech, energy tech, whatever you want to call it, companies to get out there and get the money they need to, to build awesome stuff. Yeah, totally. So what I think for the listeners who aren't as familiar with the uh, clean tech 1.0, I'll say there's a lot of really great podcasts out there on this topic specifically. The very quick rundown is a lot of venture money went into the space, specifically around new solar technologies and Um, biofuels in 2008. 2008, a lot of things happened. China started manufacturing really cheap uh, crystalline solar, financial crisis, and then also just some big bets on technology that wasn't quite there yet. So that's a very high-level simplification of what happened with clean tech 1.0, but basically a lot of people lost a lot of money. They got burned by the clean tech industry. We had to slowly rebuild our reputation as an industry that has innovation, has good technology, and we've rebranded as climate tech, and here we are. Here we are. You know, that was a great synopsis of Clean Tech 1.0. We want to basically talk about not just where we are now and what's different and where we think things are going, but I think even more importantly, you listeners, as members of the DER task force or whatever, maybe energy climate fighting company that, that you're involved in, um, what we kind of have done on the ground the past few years, sort of share our experiences. Maybe it'll be helpful 
and and kind of use that to center the conversation versus you know talking about what happened in in 2008 totally so i think before we kind of dive into the topics and where we are today for those of you that are newer to this space um we're going to do a quick rundown on some of the different ways that a company can raise capital we are not investment experts do some more research we'll link to some things in the show notes but essentially there's three forms of way to get money you can do equity which is when you're selling basically shares or future shares of your company to investors you can do debt where you have to pay the money back eventually or you can get free money free money is pretty awesome it's pretty awesome so that would be usually through you know grants from the government um or potentially other industry grants so today we're going to focus mostly on the equity side of things specifically around venture capital and project finance something that actually i've noticed i've seen people kind of conflate or misconstrue venture capital i think there's a lot of Maybe because of clean tech 1.0, a lot of sentiment, like why do VCs hate the world? Why do they hate climate? You know, why don't they back energy companies? And I've always felt that mainly because most energy companies up to this point in time have not been built for venture capital. So venture capital is a very, very specific type of capital. You know, VCs, most of their investments fail. So they're looking for home runs in a sense. If your company can't 10x, 100x their capital in a very short amount of time and and be really a rocket ship, you probably shouldn't be raising venture capital. So the funds are built on what are called J-curves where there's normally a lot of, you see negative returns for a period of time before kind of the J curving up and seeing, you know, fairly significant exponential returns. I think, I don't know the exact stats, but basically venture-backed companies obey what's called a Pareto distribution where, you know, 90% of the returns come from 10% of the companies. Most venture funds that are very successful, it's like the one Facebook in their portfolio that just was massive. And that company returns far more than, than any of the other companies in the portfolio, even ones that did one X, two X, you know, they're, they're these huge success stories. So the really good venture capitalists know this. They know that the vast majority of their investments are going to fail or, or have very low returns. So they're looking for things that can really, really take off. Yeah. Pareto distributions are cool. Like they're, they're actually everywhere. It's like in book sales, I think nine, you know, 10% of authors have 90% of sales. Uh, there's, there's a lot of areas that these pop up and, and venture capital is one of them. So when I look back on clean tech 1.0, there aren't a lot of businesses in our space that should have venture backing right and so for those that aren't as suited for venture they're sort of the more traditional private equity which is sort of expecting lower returns and as a result sort of a higher percent of success yeah so i think that's the really what we want to get into is more to speak to the entrepreneurs out there or whoever you may be if you're starting out in this space you should know what type of capital you should be searching for you know i think people want to have their headlines in TechCrunch or whatever and and VC sounds really sexy but but it's not always the right capital for for the business that that you may be be building. So, you know, Duncan has working at Scale Microgrids. Um they just raised 300 million dollars. Congrats to Scale. So, Woo. it's not that you can't raise a lot of money if you're not going into venture capital. Maybe the place we could start is just breaking down even what type of companies 
are starting today and where they should be looking for capital. But we could start in like deep tech. Um, you know, there's breakthrough energy ventures and research grants and research labs, maybe a lot of battery, advanced battery technologies come fall into this bucket. I have friends in battery labs. Um, but the sort of capital intensive hardware businesses there, I think my sense is there aren't, there isn't that ecosystem is not robust enough. Like we do need more public money. We do need more research grants. There should be more money going into, I, I'm just yeah. calling it deep tech. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Like the sort of more infrastructure hardware side of but like very science driven. Yeah. Yeah. Like new science in a way, <laughs> like PhDs are working that. on this stuff, uh, which I think is right. There's in the non-energy space, there's, there's the field of deep tech investing. That's, I don't, I don't know, notable right now, but seen as, you know, certainly it, it, it's not the same folks who are investing in SAS. Um, so to do energy and deep tech, like you're really getting into the, the sort of like far reaches of venture capital. And yeah, I think if someone was to say we need these innovations uh, to to deal with climate, there's a case that we probably need other ways of funding them, uh, or not not other, but additional to to sort of the handful of folks out there doing this. Right, and it, it may be years that certain projects that eventually do get venture capital. It's not that deep tech companies shouldn't or can't get venture capital, but mm -hmm. there can be years and years of development prior to being ready for commercialization. And, and it just seems to me that that sort of early stage patient capital isn't quite there yet. Right. I mean, traditionally, right, Department of Energy's like ARPA-E has been a really good vehicle for getting that free money grant to go off and do that. Venture is never going to make a bet on technology that hasn't been built yet. Venture can make a bet on software that hasn't been built yet because you can sort of understand technically whether it's possible or not. But technology is not always the same. Yeah, there seem to be few investors interested in like science risk. There's... Well, maybe that was kind of what Cleantech 1.0 was, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, like which... thin film, you know, different yeah, PD like technologies algal, and stuff. Biofuels. Cellulosic biofuels, all these things. Yeah. Yeah. They won't make that mistake again. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Because we have seen, I think that's it. the interesting line here is the category of batteries. I was at UT Austin doing my master's and was going to do my PhD in battery storage science because I drank the Kool-Aid pretty early on. Like, okay, we have all this solar and wind. It's really cheap. That's awesome. But it's variable. Oh no, batteries are expensive, which we need to store this stuff so that we can make sure the grid's balanced. You know, you know the story by now. But I was kind of on the front lines of it. Actually, at UT, the inventor of the lithium-ion battery, Dr. John Goodenough, is still there. He's like 95 and just killing it. Doesn't he go to the lab every day <laughs> oh, still? Oh, yeah. He was on the floor above me, and I would see him in the elevator and be like, you are truly a legend. This guy also has the best laugh in the world. Yeah, he's really, he's awesome. I got exposed to a lot of the very, there was like re really real research going on, right? And my, this is not to say, I have friends still in that lab who are doing really, really cool stuff. Um, you know, one of them I know is actually looking to start commercializing. Um, but I looked at it and one, I was just bad at research. Like I'm just not like, I can't live in a lab. <laughs> so there's that. But two is I just was like, Tesla's going to build gigafactories and it's going to follow the same story as 
PV, which is mm -hmm. there was good technology already. It seemed expensive, but really what we needed was economies of scale, scale. better manufacturing. Just yeah. push the learning curve, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. As opposed to find something that finding something that is like immediately cheaper. Right. Um, and just, so, just make it cheaper. <laughs> so batteries is one thing, right? There's also you know, carbon capture and sequestration technologies. Beneficial electrification. So everything on like the electric vehicles and charging infrastructure. Right. Well, I, I mean, I mean, from like a new technology standpoint, mm. that's within climate and not not energy. energy. There's materials. Like the, the category is broadening. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like there are a lot of right agriculture like all this food yeah i don't know if it's gm like gene editing like it's kind of like bio weather deep, tech deep tech is not just like thin film solar and batteries sure. anymore it's 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 ccs like it's 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 it is just climate in general so i think that's why it's rebranded as climate tech which also means that there's a lot of potential for the same things to go wrong i guess um as as did as did like the last time around that I don't really see happening in energy right now. Going back to what we were originally talking about, the fact that a battery company is in YC, meaning Y Combinator, is there's a line there, I guess, mm -hmm. where who knows, battery companies could get backed and yield venture style returns. Well, and those are interesting examples too, because right, they're not from the ground up making a new battery. They're going to sell a new sort of like material into the lithium ion battery industry. There's like a market for what they do. Right. The yeah. really good research that I've seen has been more improvements on lithium ion opposed to like a new you know whatever lead air zinc air zinc air yeah <laughs> you know, stuff like um, that or redox flow yeah and, and the lithium ion battery market of course is everything it's not just evs and grid scale storage it's your phone it's your laptop it's everything else i think it's a smart entry point if you're going to be doing like battery tech yeah to your point it's not like two-day storage for yeah, yeah, yeah a market we don't really know that we need yet it's definitely very defined but like everybody would be psyched if your iphone lasted 50 percent longer oh right? my gosh yeah right something i wanted to bring up is so right now there's all this talk about the missteps of clean tech 1.0 how now we're climate tech and we we understand you know venture capital scale and style businesses all of this stuff like We've changed to suit the business model. But something I don't think I've heard every, anyone in our space talk about is venture capital's changed a lot too since then, right? Yeah. The investing in software is a much more mature model today mm -hmm. than it was in 2008. Yeah. There are folks out there, and James, you probably know them, this is all they do. All they think about is internet, mobile, marketplace, platform, like all these things, yeah. right? And like we have AWS one. now. And like, yeah. right, right? Like all these things weren't important. So like, I don't think there could have been like a, a right. software style clean tech business at the time. Or if there could have been like maybe one. So the IT sort of environment has changed as well, right? Well, so I think actually as part of that, there, there's two things that are kind of interesting. One is that Peter Thiel's fund, right, is like we asked for flying cars and all we got was 140 characters, whereas Mark Andreessen's is like software is going to eat the world. The original, you know, Silicon Valley VC investments were like technology. Yeah, but, but even like, if you think right. to the, like the internet was this crazy new technology, whereas yeah. sophomore businesses now are like more established not safer by any means you know software itself was like a new kind of crazy thing venture or like the original computer mm -hmm. industry and all that stuff right. yeah exactly so, like investing in a computer company yeah. is like, like kind of crazy yeah so like software itself used to be 
almost look like clean tech. So like all this can kind of be taken with a grain of salt, where if you are building some crazy revolutionary new technology, you can totally raise venture capital. So like that's the first thing, right? Is that software, it's like commoditized in a way. There's um, like a playbook now, right? There's like yeah. a way to do it. Yeah. And, and people are practitioners in that. Yeah, and that yeah. ecosystem is very robust. So we, we're going to talk a bit about that, like as an energy company, that build software, how we raised in that environment. But the second thing is a take I've been seeing lately, which I actually really like, is that, you know what, Cleantech 1.0 was a success. You know, the investors lost, but the ecosystem won because now all the sort of venture cell businesses like ours that are being built are on top of solar and batteries and investing in solar companies did not turn out well, but that but solar's Focus getting deployed. And smart people. Yeah, solar is to, it's taken off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like we're much better off Solyndra having failed and really cheap crystalline solar having come in than it having quote unquote succeeded and being, you know, 1% of the market today. Yeah, exactly. I think it's worth pointing out too, there are a few successes. Next Tracker is a big one, right? I wouldn't call it deep tech, but it's like physical tech i, I don't right. know the right I think word like silver spring which is right now part of like itron and the whole oh, yeah, ami was, realm and that certainly was like nest then. and then obviously tesla was from that time period yeah nest um right. so like there's some stuff uh, and all of just, those are pretty hardware heavy yeah like um, those are crazy businesses right like i i have such massive respect for next tracker because what they build is a way to turn panels like yeah. it, like it's deceptively difficult I mean, they're the tracker company now. They timed it perfectly. They knew that single axis tracking was going to be a thing on utility scale solar. They like really executed. First Solar is another example too, actually. A thin film company that's alive still and like has big deployment numbers. Somehow, despite the dominance of commodity silicon modules, First Solar is like out there winning big contracts still. It's, wow. it's wild. So there are like these examples of really, really good entrepreneurs who made it happen. Yeah. So I guess to kind of wrap that up, you know, maybe you can get venture capital doing deep tech or hardware. You know, it's always possible. You do you. I don't have the stomach for it. You guys do you. Try and get free money, but... And we'd be remiss not to mention also Powerhouse and... uh, Yeah, the uh, accelerators and incubators. Yeah, yeah. There's some that are like hardware focused though. Right. I I think it's Powerhouse that's hardware focused. I know Greentown Labs. Greentown Labs. Yeah, Greentown Labs in Boston area has a whole like lab set up for testing. They're super into that and really helpful there. So maybe we can talk about private equity. You know, I, I think Duncan, you and I using our stories centered around this maybe interesting as there are definitely two models emerging of like a sort of grind build up a bunch of projects or get some prototype prove out and then you can raise private equity with that skipping venture capital and there's a there's a few businesses that have done this and then our company which was like a more standard we're a software company we raised vc didn't have to do a ton before we did that so i think sort of start centering the conversation around maybe your story and and my story may be an interesting way to explore two very different funding models that continue to be ways that clean energy climate tech companies can can raise capital right so i guess an interesting first question for you both is like when your your two companies started what source of fund were you using like did you have any money or were you just kind of doing it well i have an interesting story around that i guess our fundraising trajectory was very weird so basically, 
I met one of my co-founders in at UT. He was he didn't go to UT, but he was we met in Texas, and he had dealt, developed utility scale solar and done very well. He had done like sold a bunch of projects to Invenergy and like these bigger solar developers and. So we started developing distribution grid projects. I actually remember it was really funny. We had a project in California that we were getting pulled into and we were looking for other people who knew how to do this stuff because we didn't know. We were just like, we're going to install solar and batteries. And uh, in Cogen, we were very into Cogen. And we saw scale microgrids. Like you were the only other guys <laughs> out. Like a year before we met, we were like, oh, these guys look legit. Like, <laughs> and that, needless to say, that project did not happen. But we, we wanted to manage projects once they were built. So it's like, if the grid is becoming a two-way network, you either want to own the nodes, so you're like, raise a fund, or you want to manage them uh, because there's a lot of coordination, optimization, all that good stuff. So we were developing the projects with a goal of getting into managing. And actually, kind of a year later from that, us encountering scale, we were developing a project at a community center. There was already solar on the roof. We were going to install Cogen and we called Generate Capital and they were going to buy the, they were going to buy the project. And they're like, we think it's really cool. Our technical due diligence team, they, they sent us to scale. <laughs> so like I started talking to Tim, your boss, and I was like still working out of my apartment in Bushwick doing like, we were just like not, you know, just trying to get projects in New York. And the customer wanted more savings, so we I called this company called R3 Energy, which I knew, which had like an energy management software platform. We wanted to manage the project, and this guy Ahmed shows up. He had built the software platform for R3, and we talked for like an hour, and I called Brian and my other co-founder afterwards. I was like, I just met our CTO. He was like, what? Like <laughs> What? What? <laughs> what is CTO? Like, aren't we developers? <laughs> and, I was like, no, 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 just trust me. Like, I'll, I'm going to get this guy on the team. And actually, I went and met I met again. And, and he was actually like, hey, we should team up. So it just, like, really worked. We wanted to become a rep that was optimizing behind the meter assets. We had figured out the story at that point, And we were just looking for the tech, basically. And Ahmed was like, by the way, the company that I built this for, they're trying to sell. So you guys should buy them and like, we'll all do this under one roof. Cause what I've built for them already is like very relevant to building, you know, managing microgrid projects. They were like nest for big buildings, but then we wanted to do battery and solar and backup generators and all this other stuff too. So it was like the kind of controls automation layer. So at this point you want to buy a company, but you have no money. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, t like I told the owners of R3, like, yeah, we, we're going to raise money in the spring. So we came to terms in December on an acquisition. It was like partially cash, partially equity. Problem was we, what equity, like we weren't incorporated yet, you know, like we weren't. A, <laughs> what <company>. equity? <laughs> yeah. So essentially we were like, okay, we're going to put together like a few hundred grand from friends and family to do this acquisition. And while we're doing that, why don't we just raise like, try and raise like a million bucks because then we can hire a few more people and like really start building out this platform. And so I knew like one friend in VC and he helped us like build the deck and everything. He actually ended up investing, which is awesome. But at the time he was probably like, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what is this guy doing? And so he introduced us to like a few angel investors and stuff in New York. And so like the acquisition wasn't quite closed yet, but we, we took the meeting and they loved the story. We were like, yeah, we're buying this company. This is our big vision. This is what we're going to do. And they were like, awesome, I'm in. Like, I'm going to introduce you to all, all my buddies. So all of a sudden we were just like thrown into the VC community in New York and managed to, like we had an LOI on the acquisition at that point. We had friends and family who were like, we're in for X amount. So we were confident we'd get all this done, but we were like, okay, let's wrap this up. So I think in like April, we closed the acquisition and end of June was our close on the VC round. So it, it was a very, very non I mean, maybe people do this all the time. Like they call them aqua hires in the venture capital world, I guess. But we basically just had an idea and like actually the traction that we had had come from what Ahmed had already built. You know, Duncan probably has an opposite story as this, but basically like I met my co-founder, we had this big idea and we went out and we raised money. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about like who you were raising money from? Cause I don't think you went with the traditional sort of energy venture yeah. route. Cause I think there's like really amazing energy, clean tech funds that only invest in clean energy companies and, and or climate tech companies or, you know, their mission kind of impact funds. And there's really great companies that raise from them. We looked at that though. And we were like, we do not want to do that. Our sort of feeling, and it may be wrong was that we saw like energy companies raising from energy investors and it could kind of be an, an, an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't want people who believed in climate change to invest in us because we were working on climate change. We wanted to go to generalist VC funds who maybe didn't know a bunch about energy and just have them invest on like the merits of our business. And we wanted the pressure of that on our business. It's not to say that, again, clean energy funds don't do that. We were just very wary of, of it. Like we, we just wanted to kind of break away from that a little bit. I mean, it's, it's funny, like our lead investor is a, a firm called Box Group, which they're sort of. I didn't know about them going into fundraising, but they are one of the best seed funds. You know, I think they're incredible investors in New York. And it also happened that they had invested in Arcadia. They invested in Dandelion Energy. They invested in RigUp. Like they're a very generalist fund. They backed Stripe and like Flatiron Health and all these different companies. So they were both generalist, but also not afraid of energy. Right. When we went out and raised, we did not I did not say climate change once. <laughs> like we were just sure. like yeah. we're a software company. There's this fundamental tectonic shift going on in energy markets. That I mean that's a great point though. You that's what you want to tell VCs, right? There's something big happening. The 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 addressable market is very large because of that. And we have something that is not just a good idea and venture backable, but is going to accelerate because the overall market's accelerating with it yeah and interestingly it's like the market that was sort of clean tech 1.0 right we're like there's all this yeah. solar all these batteries mm-hmm. all this smart smart, smart meters, meters and yeah. yeah all this stuff coming online which and you needed all of that to make this company work yeah and so you coal plants are like spinning magnets and hydro and nuclear and natural gas they're all very analog the, like the old power mm-hmm. plants, very centralized, one-way flow power. But now there's like assets going in, customer homes and buildings that are digitally native. And so mm-hmm. a battery, you don't use like a physical switchboard to control that. I mean, there's a controls aspect that you integrate with them, but 
you're sending like software dispatch. You know, there's not a guy in a room looking at like a wall <laughs> right. with like right. 50 different dials on right. it. Yeah. So it's like this is you need software to do it. The energy market is very traditional. Like they're, we're becoming a retail electricity provider. They're like still using fax machines. You know, the very old world. And you have these like digitally native assets entering the grid, which in our minds are going to be everywhere in five years, 10 years, 20 years, right? There's going to be smart thermostats and batteries. Like this is not slowing down at all. I have a newfound appreciation of clean tech 1.0 is what is allowing clean tech 2.0 or energy tech or climate tech, whatever to happen because all that sort of base layer of solar and all this, you know, the real hardware. Mm Mm-hmm is there for us to now be on top of. And this is like the same pitch a lot of non-energy successful tech companies have used, essentially. Like you think of a business like Stripe. The pitch was basically e-commerce is happening. There's a million people selling things online now. We're going to build all the tools that make them way better. But like this is a trend that's not stopping for the next 50 years and we're going to ride it. Or like everyone has a smartphone and we're going to change the taxi industry. <laughs> but like somebody had to invent the car first. Like right. Exactly. Pretty, you, yeah, needed car. Right. Yeah. you needed yeah. smartphones. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so you're, you know, in Texas working away, trying to make a project. Meanwhile, scale is out there in the world. Actually building. Doing <laughs> cool shit in California at the time. Actually getting them built. We were floundering. And um, <laughs> pivoted to software. Duncan, how was that? Just, you know, to start, I know you're not on the fundraising side specifically. Yeah, my, my disclaimer is, yeah, I'm uh, not sort of founding team, so I, I can't speak as in-depth to the fundraise. But, yeah, re- really our business um, well, is... Well, can you say first, like, you guys just raised $300 million. Yeah. We, like, that's we... a lot of money, man. Yeah. It is, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like... We yeah. just raised one and a half, and I'm like, I'm so rich. <laughs> <laughs> Not me, but like, we're like, that's a lot. We can do a lot with this. Like, $300 million is so much money. Yeah, very, very different kind of money. But, but yeah, it's... it's but a, but it, I raised a million and a half in like three months out of my apartment, and you guys had been on the ground for like five years. 20, 2016, so, so more like four. But if you, even, if you think about like the Energy Rudox days... Oh like sure, you guys have been a crew for a while. Yeah, yeah. Right? There's there's a bunch of us who've worked together for a while, but yeah, essentially we're you know we're we we build microgrids, right? And while while we do have some proprietary technology and we have a novel approach, if you like consider what our business requires from a capital perspective, certainly quite a lot of it is to put steel in the ground. Um, so naturally, the type of money you raise is going to be very different. Right. Um. And yeah, we, we raised three hundred million dollars. It's it's sort of a, a mixed round, um, which is kind of an emerging thing I'm seeing in climate tech. I think you could say like Wonder Capital did something similar, right? They raised whatever it was, right. hundred fifty million dollars or something. A lot of that being to finance projects, but also a chunk of that being to grow their company um, and you know build out the capabilities they needed. So so that's what we did as well. It's but almost it, a hybrid between yep, venture money and private and project finance. Yeah, and. Warburg Pincus was the investor, and they're obviously a private equity company. They have some energy investments, traditionally, like mostly in oil and gas. They funded a lot of, I believe, like early fracking stuff and things like that. That's an interesting. Everybody's got to diversify, you know? That's what I say. (laughs) Well, I I, I do think it's interesting, though, because they've been in the business of not so much power, but energy, Texas energy, (laughs) and uh, building out infrastructure, Mm -hmm. right? Like, 
but in novel ways, like in new ways, right? That's what fracking was. But they also uh, were like the big investor in Mosaic, the residential solar lending yep. platform, and a few other things. Um, so yeah, they're, they're a private equity company, but they, they obviously are interested in more than just project finance, uh, which I think is unique. And I think there's, there's other firms out there doing this. And I, for, for a lot of companies in this space, I think that makes sense, right? Because they are doing something novel. They maybe have like a unique approach or like a, a, a piece of proprietary technology, like Dandelion, I think, could do this. I'm not saying they have done it yet. They've been all right. BC. But like, I think it would make sense if maybe their next round was $300 million, right? Yeah. And, right. you know, there was a big chunk of that to like make the heat pumps better and like hire scientists. But a lot of it would be to finance heat pump projects. And the drilling, um, right? Because their whole big yeah. innovation is that they like found a way to standardize the process and they have cheaper Smaller drilling. drills and, and stuff. They're growing yeah. like crazy. Yeah. I think a really cool company. I actually just talked to Kathy for the first time because our box group investors like put us in touch. Can she come to a DER meetup? Oh, I asked her. I so sent her like send 47 LinkedIn messages. And <laughs> yeah, no, she said zero responses. She said she'll send someone. <laughs> so we're trying to get Dandelion as part of the DER task force. But, but to, so I, I just wanted to say 100 like, people working there. Holy wow. Like, that, that's awesome. I love, I'm yeah. So, I saw Arcadia's offices in DC. They look like, like Apple. Like you a know? big like tech company. Like, it's happening, you know? There's some real success stories of companies that just started a few years ago but anyways sorry i just totally interrupted you no 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 so i i I do think there's a lot of companies or will be a lot of companies that straddle what would be seen as traditional vc and what would be seen as project finance they're they're capital intensive companies that build things but they have their own spin on it they have a novel technology that lets them do that right and so i I think we'll see a lot more of that i mean Um, even but it's like a new thing. It's I can well, only ha- think of a handful of raises that have happened that and way. And I think what would, what's interesting there, and again, not being a finance expert, is normally when you do project finance, right, you're sort of breaking everyone is, is breaking away from the projects. It's like if these projects fail, then everyone has these like fail safes through all these shell codes. And so, <laughs> so many LLCs. There's yeah. so many LLCs in a project finance structure. And so it sounds like in this hybrid approach, you're getting a little bit more of that general company. You're still investing a little bit more in the company, but you're kind of directing where a lot of the funds go specifically. Yeah. Is there like a, a defined car? You don't have to say how much, but like a defined carve out that's like corporate equity of the 300 million? My understanding is no. This is an, an investment that, like huh. was done with conviction, right? Yeah, and like certainly the intention That's is not cool. to go out and spend two hundred ninety million dollars on hiring. But did they get a piece of <laughs> your, your like LLC or whatever it is? Yeah, yeah. This the, like right. this was an equity investment. Um, Interesting. Just oh right. There's also a lot of okay, lot of yeah, lot yeah. of other money in it. <laughs> yeah. Can you t- okay? So this, this is actually something I want to know. Can you talk about like scale microgrids in 2016? Like, What's going on? Like, like, it took you where four, are you working out of? Like, what months, are you doing? Are you me, getting paid? Yeah. It took me four months to raise a million and a half. And it took you four years to raise 300. I mean, I, that seems to make sense. But like, <laughs> can you talk about like you, uh, like how, like just what Colleen said, like how you got paid? Like you had, did you have offices? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, we started in 2016, right? There was just a handful of us. All of us knew each other already and like had an, ingoing thesis that was developed from working together at a prior exit 
at a previous firm. Yes, and yes, some of them had a prior exit at, as well, which I'm sure helped. And basically, you know, we we did raise money previous to this raise, but it was it was small, and it was I don't know. I th- I think just like when you think about investing, like that's like the riskiest money, right? It was the early money, mm-hmm. um, and the intent was always to go for like a big round as fast as we could, um, and it. Yeah, it took four years. Can you give us more than that? Well, I'll, I'll, like I'll, I'll give got, some like, interesting... Give us you some guys, trench stories. You guys, All right, I'll give some interesting details. So you, basically, we had this like thesis around microgrids and how this is the energy solution of the commercial and industrial sector moving forward, but building them is incredibly laborious and difficult and has like outrageous sales cycles. And like the whole thing was kind of broken and tough. And someone had to figure out a way to like make this much more standardized, predictable, quicker, easier, all of that. We also had a view though, that the first handful of those projects would probably be more expensive than their counterfactuals, right? Mm -hmm. Than just doing it as a custom project. Cause we had to like incorporate all this long-term thinking and like new design around our infrastructure and stuff to do that. So you needed the right type of customer. So exactly. Our thought was, so what's our beachhead market? Where can we do something that's actually more expensive than the way you'd normally do it, (laughs) but in service of the long-term goal. Um, And there were two questions. One, who has a really big energy problem? And two, who is not being serviced by the energy space whatsoever? Pot farms. Yeah, and (laughs) it turns out, like, you know, pot farms have a huge energy problem, right? Energy is, like, 40% of their OPEX. Energy resilience is, like, massively important because if they lose power for a day, they lose, like, millions of dollars of revenue because their plants die. And then it also turns out like the Venn diagram of their customers and people who care about the environment is like almost concentric circles. Right. Um, So they care about the sustainability element too. And a lot of utilities can't service them. Yes. Or can't service them enough or like there's all these problems, right? You know what's funny is we, when we were in Texas, like Brian and I, we decided the same thing. We actually almost built a CHP system for like the biggest indoor pot farm in California. I have no idea how we Brian like got this lead. And <laughs> is that because you were is that you because guys? you were fangirling over scale and you were like they're doing pot, no we're that was do like pot. once we were like <laughs> oh we told these guys we could build a solar and storage and cogen plant for them because they can't get a, a hookup from the utility. We we're like, we got to figure this out. And we we're like researching. Was this thought. one of these California projects like out in the desert or whatever? No, that, like... it was actually like in San Jose. It was actually a really legit one and they had already built a farm. So we knew that they were legit and like operational capitalized. And, and yeah. yeah. And what happened was they switched it. I mean, I, I may even be wrong on this because we didn't really know what we were doing, but they switched it to like swamp cooling instead of, Mm-hmm. normal AC which killed the CHP which killed opportunity the CHP and yeah. then and then so we walked away but yeah. we were like getting close to like a term sheet yeah it's hard yeah. it turns out it's it's hard um, for a lot of the reasons people didn't expect everyone was like you can't get these financed well we found ways to get them financed or you can't like make the technology integrate well we found that as well what what ended up being really hard is just like the the cannabis market's focus was not on cost efficiency it was on growth and brand mm. because it was like the beginning of a huge market and that's all people cared about right they're like um, i'll save costs later first i need yeah. to get my market share with that said we did we did projects in that space and it also brought us to the non-cannabis indoor agriculture space which we've done really well in but going back the, so one it was like we need to find someone who really cares about energy and like has a big freaking problem right the other part was we need to find a customer that's not being serviced um, and the thought was of all the folks who want to build like very custom, like one-off engineered microgrids, a lot of them are ESCOs who do a lot of work for the government. 
and cannabis is still federally illegal, right? You really don't want to endanger like your federal federal procurement contracts, your DOD microgrid contracts, all this stuff, because you're building some things for pot farms. So that was like the thesis, mm-hmm. and I still think it was smart. Um, and we did some work in the space, but kind of like had to evolve more quickly than we had originally planned. Um, but now we're doing all sorts of projects. We you know we moved on to indoor ag. Non-cannabis. But you've done like a few really cool. Yeah, like some I, of the most advanced microgrids in the and world, and and, and for like really amazing companies. Like, yeah, like awesome in cutting edge indoor ag companies, not guys who think it might be cool to grow pot. Uh, Bowery Farming started out of Box Group's office. Oh, really? Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, um, like they're an amazing company, right? They're awesome. Yeah, I love Bowery. Um, our our other newest indoor ag company called Robotney. It's a similar company and like really, really cool, like super automated um, indoor farms that operate like automated distribution warehouses. It's awesome. But anyway, so we got we got to do some cool stuff, but now we're all over the place, right? So when you guys were building a pipeline of projects that got you this big fund, you were mainly bootstrapping. Like, did you sell those projects? to? Did you have kind of prior equity investors? Because I think an interesting thing that you and I have talked about is like the idea that, and, and we encountered this, right? We got really lucky that Generate wanted to buy this like one-off project from us. I think honestly it was from my, my co-founder's track record with Invenergy. But if you haven't aggregated a certain amount of projects, like it's very hard to get them financed. Even as, as much money, project finance money that wants to come into the microgrid space, you need to kind of have a track record. Right, like it's kind of the chicken or the egg. So, like, how, like, who kind of bought your projects? Um, like, we just found ways to finance them. All, all of our original projects we still own, uh, so we did not sell these projects. We, we, we found ways to to pay for them. Cool. Um, which was hard. Um, so you scrapped. Yes. For like yeah. Four years. And and basically, yeah. Like, what you get at is like, we had to build a big enough pipeline of like real deals that are like ready or near ready to go to to get somebody interested right mm-hmm. um so that there definitely was like a, a big chicken and the egg problem but the only way to solve it was just like to stay alive and do a lot of work i just guess like, like just like make it happen yeah. you know there's like no better <laughs> advice there i think <laughs> yeah. it's just kind of like that was actually tim's advice to me just just like get there kind of like, it was like you know the key to developing man like tim dropped so much knowledge on me Tim is my boss, by the way, our our COO and co-founder. He was like, James, you know the you know the way to develop projects. I was like, what? He's like, just don't die. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sign like some shitty term sheet where you're gonna like get roped into this financing a project that now there's cost overruns and like you're you're wrecked. (laughs) Yeah. So like you guys, no, you guys, it's amazing. You you scrapped for like four years. And then, you know, raise the fund where I guess the pipeline building allow you now to like build up the team a bit. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. So now, I mean, I think by the end of the year, we'll probably have doubled in employee count, hopefully more, which is like great because we have all these projects we're working on and previously didn't have people to work on them or enough people. Right. We know you've been busy. Um but yeah, so all all together, a very very different raise than the, than the David Energy raise, right. right? Predicated on like a very different type of growth story and like following a very different path, right? But like I think the optimistic thing about the two stories is you can actually do both of these things. Not like there's there's an increasing appetite in sort of mainstream VC for 
climate software type businesses or, or networks type businesses. And in the infrastructure world, folks who fund infrastructure are increasingly looking at uh, businesses like ours and finding like those creative structures that um, actually enable businesses like ours, which is not just not just private project finance. Like you actually need to fund the the companies themselves as well. Right. So I think like that was kind of what we wanted to get to. Right. Is that there are very different models that have emerged. And you guys, like you said, there's Wonder Capital, there's Vault Energy, or whoever they were that like raised 200 million from SoftBank. It seemed like that was a mix. You know, there's these like private equity type, more you kind of ground and pound, develop your tech out or develop your model out and like get some organic growth you could bootstrap for a while. Yeah. But then you can raise huge amounts of money because there's like you're deploying real physical stuff that like you said, steel in the ground. And it, it generates returns, right? Like right. That, that's what's nice just, about it. Yeah, yeah kind of 8, 12, whatever great IRR, percent IRRs for 20-year, 15-year deals that, that these projects are signing. Mm-hmm. But Or there's just the also traditional VC. We had like a deck and a little bit of traction and an idea, yeah. and we raised money. Yeah, and, and then s- there's also the like corporate VC world too, which yeah. probably yeah. So I think like the strategic oil and gas companies kind of dabbling here and there right. throwing bets at all the different technologies that might topple them. So you know what I've found though is that like a lot of those companies aren't really getting involved until like the series A round. Like they wouldn't have right. they wouldn't have invested in us. One of the things that's really important in a funding environment is like <laughs> what's your exit? And so, you know, Schneider has bought some software companies, Shell I think has bought some on G yeah. bought. I mean, Shell's bought a bunch. Shell's, like, yeah. yeah Shell's G- definitely been the biggest acquisition and investment firm in the 2017 to 19 range. Yeah. All these incumbents, the, just the, like the European utilities oh, have yeah. like right. gone on a spree. And, yeah. Uh, not an L. They are. Yeah. An L. An L's it is an L. Yeah. yeah they have an L. An L bought. Enernock. Um, and demand energy. Yeah, there's one other piece of the triangle that makes up NLX. Right. Or is it like an EV charging company? Oh, I yeah, forget. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. But so. But yeah, like Centrica bought the company I used to work at, right? right? Um, which wasn't exactly a startup, actually, far from it, but had that mentality, right? Right. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of examples. The, like the exit environment is real, I think. Yeah, it's super important because, like, even in the, in the software world, Google and Facebook, all these big what used to be startups are now kind of incumbents or Oracle. Like when you look at kind of angel investors, they're like sold to Oracle, sold to Google. You don't have to IPO. Most most very successful startups don't IPO. They get acquired. Right. Um, so I can't stress enough that like that is so important for our space right now that companies are being bought. You know, like there's real appetite for the incumbents to actually figure out this sort of new environment that they're wading into. I mean, I think what's interesting too is uh, like of all the critiques of clean tech 1.0 and whatever the middle ground was and then up to today, which is now, I guess, more optimistic, that exit environment really does make sense. Like people often like to take pot shots at like Shell buying another company, but it really does make sense, right? They're, they're trying to like look around the corner and figure out what their business is going to be 
when inevitably things have to change. Totally. Um, and, like, and, and NLX that's, is building projects. Yeah. You know? like doing, <laughs> they're not, and they're like really good. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. Really good. So, so anyway, yeah, I think like that exit environment is important and actually like rational. It's not just feel good investing or something. It's like they've, the, these companies have decided they have to do this. Or, yeah, Warburg Pink is investing in you guys and not just fracking or oil and gas or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, this is real infrastructure being built. It used to all be fossil fuels, but now it's this new stuff, and that's good too, you know? Right, exactly. And some people are doing it because they're worried that their business, you know, is at risk because of climate. Some people are doing it because they're realizing they can just make money doing it, and they have no interest whatsoever on climate or not. There's like the in-betweens too, right? The, the European utilities feel their businesses at risk not necessarily because of climate but because like distributed energy and like all these right. other things happening to them yeah yeah totally right yeah. like general tech disruption which has hit a lot of non-energy companies is also hitting energy companies and so there's just all these different things happening that are leading to an exit strategy which maybe that's the difference from clean tech 1.02 is that like not just are there were there some bad bets there where people lost money who's gonna buy solar like, yeah, who was, like, yeah, yeah like what right. was gonna happen after that? i get i mean like solar city yeah but were, the... were they even backed then i mean like there was a few like Sunrun's public. Mm-hmm. Solar City also PC bought back. a few companies, right? Solar racking company. Yeah. They like make really good looking solar racking. Um, but it wasn't. It they also bet that like, they bought that solar module com- company and that didn't work out. Shell wasn't buying them. No. You know, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like... But I guess the question is: Is it too much of a good thing right now? Oh no, like, that's a really no. Good there's question. there's not enough. What I was <laughs> what. I mean, no, I just well, don't think we're there. Like this, well, like so I, you I think, think we it, haven't hit climate tech is climate like tech. You been think a it just it just got rebranded for like a month. Yeah. No, I think it will it will be for sure. But that that's like in the same way that there was a lot of losers in clean tech 1.0 as far like from an investing standpoint. We've said throughout this that the reason we can build a business is probably because of all the attention back then and like the few winners that did emerge. Whenever there is great companies being built, people see that and then there's a boom and a bust, right? And like a bubble. And I feel like there's people like, oh, there's going to be all these Silicon Valley founders rushing in and dumb VCs dumping money into our space, not knowing what's going on in climate change. And that's a bad thing. And yeah. I don't really buy that. Like, that's probably true. Like, there's going to be a lot of eye roll, cringeworthy, like, oh, my God. Good. Yeah. Well, like, we that's saw... good, though. Like, yeah. right. I mean, it's just like... I wouldn't even call it good or bad. It's just natural. Like, it just happens. It will when... just happen. I mean, it already, uh, to be perfectly honest, like what, following the, you know, granted a little different because it was like, digital money, but following the <laughs> energy and blockchain companies that you resident know, were, blockchain like, expert, there Colleen. were over 30 companies founded in like an eight month period that were all going to disrupt the energy industry and all started like raising money. And then some of them were real and some of them weren't real. And like two of them exist. Still. And like, right. Yeah. There's like a couple of them that are still doing really cool stuff now, but like none of them are building themselves as blockchain companies anymore <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but anyways fourth category of capital let's just go do an ico <laughs> yeah it's a like, bunch of energy companies it's like the our... friends and family phrase <laughs> but like with strangers or, or it's or, or it's our other category which is free money right is, this is like the ultimate the non-dilutive capital right we were talking about i i think there is about to be a ton of money flooding into our space like i'm serious like I, i'm we have a company. I'm like, you know, fundraising is never easy. So I, I'm probably going to eat my eat my words here. But I'm like, the environment feels so much better than it did eight months ago. Like, I'm confident mm-hmm. we can go out and raise. And I mean, maybe we're not 
the company, but I know so many energy companies and climate change companies are about to get funded. Yeah, Good and not, bad. Yeah. Right. And it's not just climate attack. VC in general has been having a moment and is sort of continuing to have a moment, right? There's a lot of money sloshing around out there and uh, climate tech is just finally getting its fair share. Well, so that's, that's the other thing that's concerning, right? Yeah. Let's talk about timing of climate yeah. tech. Yeah. <laughs> like we, clean tech 1.0 was like right before 2008, right? <laughs> I feel like maybe this might that's be, happening again. This might be a prediction. Like this is a last. No, I mean, all I can say about this is people can have opinions about there's going to be a bubble. There's not going to be a bubble. My operating principle as like a founder who's going to go out and raise money. Half of me is like, this music is going to stop. I should try and raise a $5 million ridiculous seed round and not worry about the valuation. But once I raise it, don't be dumb enough to think that there's going to be another one after that. Mm-hmm. And just like I actually, to I think all our investors listening to this podcast. <laughs> oh my god, is probably yeah. Cut David, that. energy is open for business. <laughs> no, I look so, but there was. I mean, but the thing is, is investors like VCs talk about it too. They're like, the greatest returns are always right before the crash. Like the guys who exited in '96 because they're like, this is too frothy. You know, Bill Gurley, who's an amazing investor, talks about this. They pulled out in '96 and they lost like the the people who hung around through 2001 there were some massive fund winners there right so it's not like this is any secret everyone kind of knows right but it's you can't like go against the market it's just what's going on right now i think peter Thiel tells the story that in like 2000 they merged because they were like look we're in a bubble we're gonna merge we're gonna sprint to raise money before it all stops and like four days before the dot-com crash they closed their round of funding and then like had enough to make it to an exit in like 2004 or something so more of the point is like there's an environment where we could probably go out and, and raise a large seed round and or it's like go out and just be really conservative like we were in our last round, take a very rational valuation so that when there's a crash, like we won't be super affected by it. But the point is that both of those, I'm operating under the principle of like the music's probably stopping pretty soon. (laughs) Just really quickly speaking of trends. So if we're saying clean tech is what leads to, or just maybe energy finances, Enron, our, our, our first our first indication with the dot-com bubble. Oh my God. Well, and, I'm then, the worst. and then um, clean tech 1.0 is our VC bubble. And then climate okay. tech is our... <laughs> okay. I'm the worst person to ask for this because I would literally, I wouldn't say mess with investors, but they'd be like, what's your long-term version? And I'd start talking about Enron. Like, I'm like, we want to build Enron. <laughs> but like, but just, like, just to like, you know, it was like, I was like, this is the bad joke I tell. And they'd be like, oh God. And actually our lead investor laughed. So I was like, okay, you, you get what's going on here. <laughs> but the point is, is like Enron actually, it's such a tragedy. Like, I think that is one of the, it is an American tragedy because like, from 85 to 95, they built the most ridiculous. It was like a truly innovative business that every single retailer, like NRG, Direct Energy, Constellation, all these guys, it's still just the Enron playbook. Like they had. Well, and, the, and at the time, Enron was celebrated as like the most innovative American business, not energy yeah, but business, that, but like but people that, were like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, I mean, they did capture the public mind share in a way that like Apple did, you know, like they were as an energy company, they were the last like 
energy company to really capture people's minds. But that was like 95 to 2001 mm-hmm. when they were fueled by, really, yeah. you know, they got greedy. They got, they were corrupt in my mind. It was dumb. They would be the leader right now in the energy world, in power and gas. Like they would own the most power plants. They would be bigger than all of these companies, energy, direct energy. Like they had the front runner position and then they were corrupt. Like I'm not, I'm not saying what they didn't did sure, wasn't, yeah. I'm saying the fact that they went there like the yeah. last six years of their existence instead of just like being a good company and like innovating and they they could have been like a massive American yeah success story and still be one of the biggest energy companies today. But the the reason that that happened is because of wholesale market regu- de- deregulation and gas deregulation. So they like saw this trend coming and capitalized on it, right? They built a trading desk. They built, they owned assets. They did project development. They did, they had retail and they had Enron energy services. And like every energy company today looks like that. And Enron did it first. Yeah. So that, that's what I say when I'm like, I like, they truly were an innovative business from like 85 to it to 95. Um, Colleen's looking at me like, dude, (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just love how you fundraise. No, I mean, but so I'm like, <laughs> it's so bold. You're like, I'm going to be the next Enron. And then what's great about it is either you can be innovative or you can defraud people. And you'll be like, well, I told you exactly what I was going to no, do. No, I, I definitely <laughs> say we're not trying to defraud people. It's, okay, it's more that like the distribution grid is now being deregulated. And like the next great wave and like how energy markets are going to reform are because of DERs. Like I really, truly believe that. And that's the wave that's coming. And whether it's us or someone else capitalizing on it like someone will you know leap just raised 11 million dollars from union Union square Square. tibber raised 12 million from founders fund what is tibber again they do basically what we're doing but for resi like they do oh uh, cool smart thermostat battery optimization they're like a a retailer on your app on on your phone Mm -hmm. um and i think like 25 percent of their customer base has some form of der so they're like less Mm. focused on they want like existing DER customers. Like, well, they're more just like download the app and like get cheaper energy, and we're a cooler, you know, software-driven yeah, retailer, yeah, which yeah. is definitely a, a part of what we're talking about. I actually think Arcadia is really well positioned to build that in mm-hmm. the U.S. and they will. In Resi, and like, if yeah. Tibber yeah. ever tries to jump over, they'll be competing with Arcadia and like not us because CNI is just such a different. CNI is not an app thing. Yeah, no. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, t- I've talked to Kieran about it, Arcadia, and he's like, you know, you guys are crazy. Like, and I'm like, I don't know how to do Resi. So you can't like build a yeah. app in CNI. But that's why we're so focused on behind the meter assets. Do you agree, though, that like in the beginning of this, yes, yeah, software driven rep kind of space, you're going to do one or the other for a while? Right. Yeah. Definitely. As opposed to just build the biggest book you can build and offer people cheap right. power. Like our view on it is that behind the meter assets are going to be everywhere in 20 years. Right. Yeah. They, they have more of an impact to CNI customers today. So we're going to focus on that today. But when there's enough behind the meter assets on the resi side of things, and you can aggregate enough customers to like do the stuff we're doing on the CNI side, that's when we would get into it. So DERs with the iPhone, you guys are waiting to build the app until everyone has their iPhone. Yes, I get. Yeah. And, but like right now, um, CNI has PCs so we can like run our software right. on that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, right. It's like um, Facebook was big on web first 
Exactly. But then mobile blew it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inter- yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. Or like Instagram or whatever. Yeah. I mean, look, I may be totally wrong, but I, I think like what's fundamentally different in the energy space right now isn't just like, oh, we can build software. It's that DERs require software. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. focus on DER. We're like maniacally focused on DERs. And, and it's just like, oh, we have to build software now. Right. Because like that's what's really changing energy markets. Yeah. So I think it, that's more what I'm Right. And similarly, but. yeah. Because similarly, Leap is focused on like a, a platform to aggregate different DR aggregators. Right. Isn't that. Yeah. So I actually talked to Thomas today for the first time. Super cool. He's dude. great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that business is is really cool. I'm like still wrapping my head around it. I think mainly because California is such a weird market. East Coast people are like, what? What does California do? Yeah. <laughs> and West Coast people are like, yeah. Like, you can't why? buy energy on your own? What? <laughs> like, yeah. But then California people are like, you guys aren't doing anything. <laughs> you know? Like there's no batteries. So much shit. You guys are so behind. Um, well, yeah. You, you know, when the state pays for half the battery. <laughs> It gets deployed. Oh, we got an East Coast, Ooh. West Coast battle brewing. Um, I, I deployed a battery that was unsubsidized in PJM. Wow. You know, like, like yeah. that, that's weird. Without right? the ITC or SGIP. I know. That's why you guys are badass. It's wild. But back to, to Leap. Leap. So so they're like a, they're like a marketplace, like yeah. a settlement layer for, he's like, people can trade or do whatever algorithms on top of us that they want to they do all the plumbing behind like market settlement even if you're nest or someone with a bunch of distributed assets that you're deploying going to like c power and trying to like aggregate thermostats is maybe not going to be super easy but like leap does the 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 layer with the iso Mm -hmm. and the settlement and the capacity market where on the front end, it's just like a really simple API. So they're, all these they're kind devices, of the, the stripe. Whereas we're trying to build the intelligence on top of that. Yeah, and you're like actually, actually like trade doing it. Yeah, but then ultimately, do they interact with the utility state and ISO? Yeah, they're DR program. Yeah, and they the put DR they're, they're basically DR 2.0. Right? Yeah, exactly. For for, pro- for like automated digital devices, not for like calling the facility manager exactly. to turn down right. each and other. Like, yeah. I think what's yeah. different, okay. though, is that DR 1.0 company, like, they aggregate aggregators exactly. because... Yeah, because yeah. the new aggregation of, like, a bunch of digitally enabled devices is, like, much harder as a DR 1.0 company, so they, like, help facilitate that. Okay. And I think it helps, like, reduce the risk overall because you also have more diversity in, in what you're bidding in. And there's floors in California where, like, you need a, cer- yeah. you need a certain aggregation threshold. So they'll, mm-hmm. like, help smaller aggregators, like, like get, get market that. access, yeah. basically. Okay. He was like, we'd never want to be a rep. So I was like, okay, let's, you know. <laughs> we we're, we can we're talk. Only, <laughs> we're the only ones dumb enough to do that. Uh, they a, were, fun fact, briefly a blockchain company way back in the day. Really? Oh, yeah. But I don't think they pivoted out of that pretty quick. Oh, yeah. It was Leap DEX, Distributed Energy Exchange. So they're cool. Yeah, you they're know, great. We're all about free ads on this podcast. So it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Can I go on a quick tangent on, on this? Like, yeah. I have a, so we, like, we all know like the Sunrun deal in New England ISO. They have all these batteries that people buy but never use, which is like amazing. I wish I could sell things that don't get used and have no economic value proposition. But people sign up for these batteries and then they aggregate them and they sell that capacity into the capacity market in New England ISO. And they can do that, right? Because they they have this fleet of the batteries. They already have communication with the batteries. They just kind of like need to win the bid and flip the switch, right? 
but w- what we all know is resi solar is like a long tail market, right? There's a few big players, but 75% of the market is the 10,000 installers that do stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Is anyone making like a very targeted that Sunrun thing, but for everybody else? Like I think the, that's the probably, Android of that? Like, I think that's probably a leap. Because like, that's just like such a clear win, right? Because right. every residential solar install is like a good battery opportunity now and increasingly will have batteries that just sit there. Because in Which resi, there's no like time of use most of the time. Well, it depends. If someone's yeah. already aggregating, leap doesn't work with the end customer, I don't think. Yeah, so that that's what I'm saying. That aggregate. Leap is interesting, but like shelving them for a second. Like, Who's going to aggregate all these solar installs that aren't from a big name or just like mm-hmm. from some random local solar company, right? Like that's right. a huge market. Who's going to do that? Is it companies like Arcadia? Yeah, yeah no. That's a great totally. idea. Yeah, that gonna, would be good. No, yeah. That's why I'm so like no one understands how ridiculous that business is going to be. They're going to be so big. They already own the customer interface. They can do anything. Yeah, there. yeah. And, you know, the, the real issue here is that in a lot of states – Resi doesn't settle to the meter. Like you get a load curve or it's even just your the, your whole book of meters is like one load curve. Hmm. So if you have a battery and Resi in New York, it you don't settle to the meter. It is, there's so much that has to, like people don't understand when you actually get at the wholesale level, how fucking analog these markets are. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, it you is, can still sell capacity makes though, me right? nuts because like you could still do the sun run style of just like, make free money from the ISO and maybe discharge them once in a while. Honestly, I don't yeah. even know. But like when everyone talks about like real time DER, like blockchain enabled marketplaces, which Colleen, I know you love and I love too. It's like, we're so far from that in New York because and in a lot of States, like in resi, even in big commercial in New York, you don't really settle to the meter. Even if you have a smart meter, Con Ed will like give the ESCO a load curve. So even if we had a battery in that commercial really? building, yes. Whoa. Like we couldn't arbitrage it because like we're the rep is just getting it's like the utility. A per customer total kilowatt hours and then a like generalized load curve. Like if you're on a tariff and you're a commercial building, you'll get like a nine to five curve. So if you're using less, obviously it changes. Mm-hmm. But if you turn on a battery at one PM, it doesn't change the curve that the utility gave your ESCO. Right. But if you the utility had, like, doesn't give them your curve, they give them like the, the CNI cur- curve. This SC9. Like, it doesn't matter if you have the data. It's like they don't, it doesn't yeah. like if talk that will, to the right, market. If that's their- and like none of the tariffs really do, right? Like you're saying basically any commercial building in New York. There you- are some that do settle to the meter. Oh, there are. Um, you have to be pretty big. Like the big industrial but ones. But yeah. uh, the point is, is that like even when smart meters are deployed, s- some like. I guess, you know, here's another leap pitch, like the plumbing or like the yeah. interface or right. like cover, uh, the like, like the markets stuff. are structured. Yeah. Or like how the utility works. So there's not even things right. leap can do about that. Um, so why do we have smart meters? Well, they aren't fully. Well, in yet. some markets, like I think Massachusetts is better. Like New York, New York is like, I think notoriously bad for this. Like New Jersey is better too. Like Texas is really good. Like resi sells yeah. to the meter in Texas. And I so, think some of it, and I think some of it is is probably again not being like an expert on tariffs, but tariff structures change as there are different, as new like data becomes available. Right, New York utilities don't have full deployment of AMI, and right. so the like exploration right. around new tariffs is something that is ongoing. And so I would imagine that probably in you know three, five, ten years. Um, 
Mm-hmm. That yeah, it's, it's definitely right? going to change. It's definitely going to change. Colleen just set a target for Connect yeah. to get I all am, their um, AMI deployed. You're liable. Own yeah. personal liable. opinion. I've heard that Bill de Blasio listens to this podcast, <laughs> uh, and he's going to hold you guys to okay, that. Okay, guys. So basically, <laughs> basically, even there, like, yeah, there's there's just stuff that energy markets don't even even if you have a battery, even if you have a smart meter, even if you're like a forward thinking software company. There's still stuff you can't do can't because do. of regulations. But anyways, like Leap's a badass company. Arcadia is a badass company. Tibber seems really badass. There's a lot of cool software companies. You know, David Energy. We haven't done anything Scale microgrid. Pretty sweet company. <laughs> we literally haven't done anything. But hopefully so, we'll earn to be next to those names. You know, day, Con Ed, you know? great startup. Con Ed, <laughs> very forward thinking. So, so still on the idea of timing. Like we were just talking about like forward looking timing. Like. Is climate tech finally happening, like, right before everything goes to shit? Maybe. Who knows? Uh, Also, like, I do think there's an interesting conversation of backward-looking timing. This is just, like, an idea. I'm not trying to sort of be, like, the Debbie Downer. We're telling the story of, like, climate tech finally makes sense. Like, investors want in because it makes sense. Hoorah. But all this stuff started happening after that really scary IPCC report. Right. The movement of like tech workers wanting to get involved in climate stripe with their like, we'll pay you to suck carbon out of the air, which like doesn't make any business sense. They're just doing it, which is great. And now like VCs, this was all created by that scary ass IPCC report, which I think is great. Like it's people saying like, what year was that? uh, Like a year and a half ago. Yeah, this is the one where like everybody like. But like, is it Greta or the IPCC? No, report? I mean I think it's it, I think it's cumulative. Yeah, it's I've, incremental. I'm just saying, like I do think this is still people- motivated by like non-economic factors, like clean tech was, and it, it's different. It, it's more of a like movement. The entire society is motivated by these non-economic factors, but VCs are as well, <laughs> right? Like right. they've they know they need to be a part of this, but it's not just because energy is the new internet. Funny. And like, I do think we have to be straight about that. What's funny is we may be terrible at raising money in this environment too. <laughs> you know, it's not <laughs> just like if you're an energy software company, you're going to be good at raising money. You know, you talk to some investors and they, they don't know a lot about energy or climate. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have sat down with investors who just like, they're going to write checks into like ridiculous ideas. Right. The way to make an like, idea simple. you can look simple. at and be like, you this no that, like like juicero too, but like that's definitely not gonna right work. right you juicero know? was like the four hundred dollar juicer where you could just squeeze the packets that it gave you you didn't need the, you didn't need the four hundred dollar product and know. it raised like a ton of VC money but what I want to throw out there is like there the story is we've learned from climate uh, clean tech one we're climate tech now we're smarter faster stronger whatever but like you can't abstract away the fact that investing in climate whatever your thesis is is still very much connected to climate action yeah and like it makes this market different and unique and worse or better in various ways but like i do think it's like fake news for us to be like oh yeah this is just like SaaS now yeah we're like, hip yeah, yeah just like no. oh like no it's def- like yeah like yeah. you know asana and then you know energy tech like no, you know I, like right like, or no. like TikTok and then energy tech. Yeah, like, like there's not... very good reasons to be here no, and it I've will make some... economic sense. And like this is a big technology shift. There's an energy transition happening. But like, come on. It's also motivated by like, oh, fuck. Well, I like, think, I mean, <laughs> like, but we got to do something. Honestly, like, I think like this, this is kind of why we started the podcast, though, is like 
there's really smart people trying to get into the space and not that we know everything. We're just trying to be like, here's at least like all the context around energy markets. So like, if you do want to jump into this space, you know, you see the tweets that are like Uber for electricity. It's like, come on, you know, like everyone's going to roll their eyes at that. But at the same time I looked at it, I was like, this is great. Like there's gonna be a lot of money to come into this space. Yeah. Like, so there's an appetite for this. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it's like, we want, this to happen we want money in our space we yeah, want smart people exactly. coming into the space not not like pretentious enough to be like you have to listen to the energy people who know what they're doing but i do think like that's what we we felt like now is the time to do this because it was like we can just talk about our like our experiences or if you are a, a smart person out there and you want to learn about energy like you'll at least know what vdur and like all this crap is after listening to our podcast, I guess, right? If you're and in, if energy. you don't tweet at us, I'm like very optimistic. No, me too. Like I, very, I guess, very optimistic. No, I, I, I guess all I was people trying are to gonna roll their eyes, but sure, like there's sure. gonna be really dope shit built. Like, I agree. Out of, no, out I, I agree. Like really fucking great. Companies. And I think there's like really good reason to do it. Like there is yeah. an energy transition happening, yes. and it's like a big freaking wave. Yes. My only point, I guess, when like the first one or two companies don't do well, or like a particular fund, like doesn't really get it right let's not then just cycle quickly back to oh this doesn't never made any economic sense yeah, right well obviously like, we're not no, going anywhere it, it can and it will but like it is worth remembering like there's another reason we're all here right and like it's just i think silly to pretend that's not the case right it's actually a really important layer in all of this yeah yeah breakthrough energy ventures would not exist for SaaS, right no one's doing that just like returns no there's people yeah, right like yeah. like even though like there's a really compelling story around the returns that i believe the, the reason you get into it the reason you work hard at it is still like a big fucking mission that matters right. <laughs> yeah and i think that's like a strength not a weakness totally. in addition to the huge economic upside associated with right. it right here's uh, to yeah. making money while saving the world it's like a don't forget yeah. where you've come from kind of pitch i guess you know like, right it's like we're here to do some good shit and we're all gonna get rich <laughs> All right, with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Now, it turns out that since recording this, a lot has happened. While COVID-19 disrupted just about every industry, the climate tech investment space has managed to not just survive, but actually deliver a few huge announcements. Prime Impact Fund announced a new $50 million fund. Pale Blue Dot Ventures announced a $60 million fund. BlackRock led a $50 million round in zero-mass water, a novel solar-powered water harvesting technology. The Altman brothers, including Sam of Y Combinator fame, launched a new seed stage fund for moonshot projects, including climate tech, called Apollo Projects. Lower Carbon Capital, led by famed early-stage investor Chris Saka, announced it has funded 20 climate tech companies and will continue to do so. And Amazon announced it will invest a huge $2 billion via its climate pledge fund in transportation and logistics, energy generation and storage, the circular economy, and agriculture. Even amidst a global pandemic and a likely recession, investors continue to realize climate tech is a massive opportunity. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get the word out. And please go to our website, www.dertaskforce.com, and sign up for our newsletter. It's also where you'll find the latest meetups and podcasts, content from previous meetups, and a whole lot more. See you next time.